Rebecca and Abigail lived by a lighthouse there on the coast of Massachusetts, and it was their father who ran the lighthouse. Every night he'd keep the light shining to help guide the ships as they entered the harbor. Well, one day, Dad and Mom needed to take a trip to another village, and so they left the girls in charge. I mean, it seemed to be a quiet day. Nothing much happened out in the water. No ships in sight. Girls should be able to manage okay. And yet just a few hours after the parents left, as the afternoon sun was disappearing from the sky and darkness was starting to fall, a ship came around the point. And it wasn't just any ship, it was British, a British frigate, a fast, large moving uh, vessel, heavily armed with cannons on both decks. See, this is the year 1814, and America was at war with Great Britain. One of the strategies the British would use in a situation like this is they'd leave that large ship way out there in the water, and then during the night, they'd sneak the soldiers in on some rowboats. It had happened once before, not far from this lighthouse, a harbor down the coast. The British had attacked a local village and left 10 American ships burning in the harbor. And here they were again, ready to do the same thing. So Rebecca and Abigail Bates realized they had to do something to warn the people and save the town from this sneak attack. So they came up with an idea, an idea they got right out of the Bible, the story of Gideon, the Old Testament. Rebecca and Abigail remembered how their dad kept some instruments down there in the bottom of the lighthouse, a drum and a fife, a little flute-like instrument. So they quickly grabbed the instruments and hid themselves behind some cedar trees near the shoreline and waited for the British to come. And when those British troops got near the shoreline, the girls started to play the instruments. And it took the men by surprise. They couldn't see anything because it was starting to get dark, but they could sure hear something. Somebody over here beating on drums, somebody over here playing Yankee Doodle on a, on a tiny flute, and immediately the soldiers assumed that it must be the local militia hiding out behind the rocks and the trees, getting ready to rake our boats with all kinds of musket fire. So the British troops, they, they got spooked. Man, we're sitting ducks out here in the water. They can fire at us all day long and just pick us off one after another, and we'll never see where they're firing from. So in a state of panic, all these soldiers started falling over each other as they desperately tried to turn those boats around and get back to the mothership as fast as they could. Not one shot was fired that day because there were no American soldiers hiding on the beach. Just two girls, Rebecca and Abigail, one playing a drum, the other playing a, a flute. And yet because of their courage and their ingenuity, they saved the whole town. Now generally, when we study history, we like to look for the big people, the celebrities, the generals and the statesmen, the George Washingtons and the Benjamin Franklins, and we give them all the credit for winning the war. And those great men did do great things, but they weren't alone in fighting those battles. There were all kinds of other people working behind the scenes, some who never even picked up a gun, like Rebecca and Abigail, who because of the courage they display, they helped too to save our nation from a great crisis. Now, you find those kind of inspiring stories not just in the pages of our American history books, you can find it in the pages of the Bible too. Real stories, true stories, like the one we're going to look at today, Acts chapter 23. Here we're going to read about a conspiracy to assassinate the Apostle Paul. Forty men have taken an oath. We're not going to eat or drink till we see this man dead. And they had a brilliant plan to carry it out. I mean, they were going to make this sneak attack and take the Roman soldiers by surprise. In the middle of the night, in the narrow streets of Jerusalem, they had already carefully picked the time and place. They had this perfect spot to carry this out. They were going to ambush Paul. And then with their hidden daggers, they quickly stab him to death before the Roman guard even had a chance to respond. And these 40 men already had the help and support of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. So they, needed, they had everything they needed in order to carry out this mission and make this plan work. And yet the whole thing fell apart because of one little boy. One little boy who happened to be in the right place at the right time. And because of the courage he displayed, the life of the Apostle Paul was saved. 
The Bible teaches, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, each one, get this, each one should use whatever gift they receive to serve others. Now think about that, each one, not just some, but every one of us. And not just the great and those who make a name for themselves and those who appear in the headlines. No, every one of us has been given something by God an opportunity, a talent, a skill, where we can do something that's truly beneficial for others, where something that will enable other people to experience the grace of God in their lives. God has given every one of us something by which we can make a difference for others. In other words, the Bible's teaching there in 1 Peter chapter 4 that God is doing the same thing for us that many of us do when we get ready to travel on a trip. You know, just before you leave town, what do you do? You pack your bags. But you don't just throw anything in that suitcase. No, you take time to consider what kind of journey you're about to take, and then you pack accordingly. I mean, if you're getting ready to head to a place that's got some cold weather, you make sure you bring some coats along. If you're heading off on a business trip, you want to make sure you're carrying your laptop with you. Or if you're heading off to spend some time with the grandchildren, which is wonderful, you bring along some tennis shoes and some pain medication, too. No trip is ever the same. Depending on where you're going, what you're getting ready to do, you, you put the appropriate things in your suitcase to make sure you're prepared for that trip and ready to make the most out of that journey. Well, the Bible says that God has done the same thing for us long before we were born, long before we were sent to this world to carry out a mission for him. God packed our bags. I mean, God, knowing ahead of time what kind of culture we were going to be living in. God, knowing ahead of time what kind of people we'd meet and work with. God, knowing in advance what kind of pressures we'd face and what kind of opportunities we had to help others. He packed our bags. He equipped this life with certain qualities and abilities. He gave each one a specific kind of personality. He gave every person here a particular knack for doing things so we would be ready for this journey through this world. And according to the scripture we're going to study today, God didn't just do that for adults. He did it for the children, too. John Orberg tells a story about a young lady, uh, and I think I've shared this before, uh, a young lady named Shauna. And he says when Shauna was a little girl, she was a very strong-willed child. One example, at the age of four, she was constantly going AWOL on her tricycle. I mean, every day the mother just never knew, oh, where'd she go this time? I mean, the mother could just never rein her in. So finally one day, the mom issued this ultimatum, Shauna, look. See that tree over there? See that drive over there? Don't you dare go past that, or you're going to get a spanking. And today, I'm staying outside. Today, I'm watching. My eyes are on you. Don't you dare go past either one of those boundaries, or you will be punished. And little Shauna, she never flinched. She immediately backed her tricycle up to right there to where the mother was standing. She pointed to her bottom and said, you might as well spank me right now. I got places to go. <laughs> I love that. John Orberg says, would it surprise you to know that when Shauna grew up, she became this formidable leader, a young lady who no matter what kind of situation she was in, she's ready to take charge. Hey, let's hit the hill and conquer that challenge. And no matter what kind of obstacles would get in her way, she has this indomitable spirit where nothing ever gets her down, nothing ever slows her down, nothing ever discourages her. Hey, no matter what kind of obstacles we have to get across, we're still going to find a way to reach our goal. In other words, years ago as a little girl, you, you could already begin to see how God packed her bags, how God had equipped her life, that God had something special in mind for Shauna and her future. Well, so it is in the scripture we're going to look at today. We're going to learn that God's not just using adults to help the Apostle Paul get to the city of Rome. He's going to use some children, too. Some children to serve and make a contribution. God's going to use the little ones to help tell a story, too. Take a look at this. Acts chapter 23. Let's start with verse uh, 12. The next morning, some Jewish men formed a conspiracy, and they bound themselves with an oath. In the Greek, it's literally this word anathema. 
They're calling down a curse upon themselves. May I be eternally condemned by God himself if I do not fulfill this vow. And the vow, we will not eat or drink until we've killed Paul. And verse 13, there's more than 40 men involved in this plot. 40 assassins ready to do whatever it takes in order to end the life of the Apostle Paul. This is a very serious threat. And yet, in order for them to succeed in this mission, they're going to need some official backing. So they go right to the top. They go to the very leaders of the Jewish people. Verse 14, they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. But we need your help to pull this off. So here's what you can do. You and the Sanhedrin, if you would petition the Roman commander. See, right now we can't get in that fortress. There's no way we can get inside that prison, that place where they're, they're holding Paul. But if we could find a way to bring him out... And that's where you come in. If you could just re make a request to this Roman commander, Claudius, if you just say, hey, you know, we'd like to have another meeting with Paul. Would, would you mind some night, some of your soldiers, just bring him down to our council hall? Because we still got a lot of questions. We want to ask a lot of information we need to know. You know, make it sound real innocent-like so they won't suspect that anything's wrong. And then that night as they bring him down, we got the perfect spot to have this ambush. As it says here, the last part of verse 15, we'll be ready to kill him, to kill Paul before he gets here. It's a great plan in their minds, and it's likely to work, except they've forgotten God is watching over Paul. And God is also aware of this boy, this boy who's always had this eagerness, this desire to want to do something significant, to want to serve and help other people. And now God's got an opportunity for him. So verse 16, but when the son of Paul's sister, Paul has family here in the city of Jerusalem. And no doubt his sister, just like Paul, she's a faithful Jew, she and her family. I mean, Paul tells us here in verse 6 of this chapter, I am a Pharisee and I'm the son of a Pharisee, raised in a godly home. So a godly lady, godly family. So no doubt they probably know some of these assassins. They probably go to the same synagogue with them. And one day, the boy, the nephew of Paul, he just happens to be in the right place at the right time and overhears a couple guys whispering about what they're getting ready to do. And immediately he becomes alarmed. You know, you've heard the saying, all it takes for evil to succeed is for good people to sit back and just do nothing. Just sit in your hands. And the boy realizes, I can't do that. I cannot let these evil men get away with this evil scheme. So even though he's putting his own neck on the line, he immediately goes to the barracks to talk to his Uncle Paul, and he told him what he had heard. Paul, what are we going to do? Verse 17, Paul called one of the Roman centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander, and the Roman centurion said, Paul, this prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something important to share. And it's here in verse 19 we begin to get a sense of just how young this young man is. He's right now more boy than man because here he is in this intimidating setting, got a Roman centurion at your side with all of his soldiers and their swords and standing before the Roman commander, Claudius, and all this pomp and circumstances. Man, am I in over my head? What exactly have I signed up for? He's as nervous as he can be. And the Roman commander, sensing that, he took the young man by the hand. Here, son, come here with me. Let's, let's get away from that. I, this is kind of upsetting over here. Come over here where it's just you and me. Much more relaxing kind of atmosphere. It gives the, the boy a chance to calm down. Listen, I can tell you, you got something on your heart you need to share. Talk to me. What is it you want to tell me? In verse 20, he begins to open up. He says, Sir, some Jewish men have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't do it. Do you hear the emotion coming out of that boy's heart? Please, sure, sir, do not do this. 
Do not give in to them. And here's why. Because more than 40 of them are waiting in an ambush for him. They've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed Paul. And they're ready right now to carry out that plan. All they need is your consent. Please, sir, don't do it. And the commander responds, verse 22, he dismissed the young man with this warning. Hey, don't tell anyone. I'll take care of this. But Paul knows it. You know it. I know it. Let's just keep it to the three of us. And I'll make sure they don't carry out this conspiracy. Don't tell anyone that you reported this to me. And the rest of the chapter you read, Claudius, right away, he gets 200 soldiers along with 200 spearmen and 70 other of the cavalry to escort Paul out of the city of Jerusalem in the middle of the night and take him up to the city of Caesarea in a much better, much safer place. And immediately the conspiracy just falls apart. Now, what do we learn from this? Well, I get two simple lessons out of the scripture, two things that I can take home with me and apply to my life. Lesson number one. What I say and what I do doesn't just affect me. It affects a lot of other people, too. Do you remember how you learned this lesson at school? You know, every class had its goofballs. Every class had its share of troublemakers. And our tendency as kids was to laugh at them because we thought what they were doing was funny. Until that day, the boys broke the rules. And this time, the teacher decided, well, because of what you've done, nobody gets to go to recess today. Everybody has to stay in the room. And that day, you learned in a painful way the life I live, the choices I make. It doesn't just affect me. Affects a lot of other people, too. Or how about that day on the playground, out there at recess? You and your friends are playing a game of soccer, and the boy you picked to be your goalie, man, he let you down. He made this massive blunder. He jumped one way when he should have jumped the other, and the ball goes rolling in the net. And now, because of his mistake, the whole team loses the game. What one person does affects everybody else. And then the next day, similar way, you got that same kid in your team. This time, instead of putting him in the goal, you put him in another place out there in the field. And this time, rather than letting you down, he comes through. Just before recess comes to an end, he scores the winning kick, fakes, fakes out the other goalie, puts the ball in the net. And this time, because of what he did, the whole team wins. What one does affects everybody else. We're all roped together, connected together. It's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. It says no one lives to themselves and no one dies to themselves. If I do something good, it doesn't just lift me up. It lifts a lot of other people up, too. If I do something wrong, I'm not just bringing myself down. I bring a lot of other people down with me. Isn't that not what we're seeing in this scripture? Here's a young man. He hears something important. And if he chooses not to get involved, if he chooses to say, man, I'm not going to put my life on the line. If he chooses to say nothing and do nothing, it's not just going to affect him. It's going to affect a lot of other people, too, because he chooses not to get involved. What happens to the life of the Apostle Paul? He could end up losing his life. And now, who takes the gospel of the city of Rome? And who plants those churches there in the nation of Spain? And all those other places where Paul was hoping to serve. It doesn't just affect him, it affects it. But on the positive side, what we see here, he chooses to get involved, to share what he knows, to do what he can. And as a result, it's not just Paul who is blessed, but now thousands of other people are impacted. As for years to come, Paul is able to carry out his mission for the Lord. See, it's just like that rock that's thrown in the water. It's not just the spot where the rock hits that feels the impact. No, for a long time to come, you watch, you watch the ripples move out from that point of contact, and it affects everything else in the water, too. So it is in your life and mine, and even as a child, even through a child, God will reach out and influence a lot of other people, too. Now, that brings me to my second point. Since this life is going to have an influence, why not let it be an influence for God? I love that scene in the Bible, Luke chapter 5, where Jesus asks if he can use Peter's boat. You remember the setting? Peter and his friends have been out in the lake all night long, Sea of Galilee, trying to catch some fish, hadn't caught a thing. Next day, here they are on the shore trying to mend their nets when Jesus comes along. He says, hey, Peter, I need a favor. 
can I use your boat today? I got all these people I want to be able to teach, but in order for them to see me and hear me, I need a platform from which to speak. So can I use your boat for my ministry? And Peter agrees. I mean, he gets up right away and he helps Jesus push the boat out in the water a little way. So now everybody sitting there in the hillside can be sure to see and hear Jesus. And suddenly, a boat that had once been used for fishing now becomes an altar where people can meet God. What if Jesus asked to stand in your boat? Your boat is the place where you spend the day, the place where you make your living, the place where you live your life. It's the taxi you drive, the horse stable you clean out, the dental office that you run and manage, the family you feed and support. What if Jesus asked to stand in your boat, use your life, your situation to minister to others? See, many of us, we forget that Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life living and working as a carpenter. Tecton, that's the word that's used here in the Bible. It means he was in the construction trade, using wood, stone, all kinds of other materials. But long before he became a rabbi and out there teaching others, Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life actually living out the lessons, living out the principles, living out the truth that he would later share with others. So here's the question. What if instead of 2,000 years ago, what if Jesus first came to the world right now, came to our world? What line of work would he choose before he started his public ministry? Maybe instead of being a carpenter, he would choose to be a software engineer, or maybe a high school drama teacher, or maybe he'd choose to be a diesel mechanic, or maybe he'd choose to be a reporter for the New York Times. In other words, Jesus could very well do what you're doing right now. The, 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 the house that you live in, the job that you work at, the education you have, the skill set you have, none of that would get in Jesus' way in, in his ability to carry out his mission for the Lord. This is what discipleship is. It's asking, what if Jesus were me? What if Jesus were standing in my boat, spending the day where I typically spend the day, living in my house, working in my job? What would he do? What would he say? How would he act? I mean, if Jesus can use Peter's boat to minister to others, can't he use my boat, my situation, to help other people too? And this scripture shows us that's not just a question for us as adults to ask. That's a question the children need to ask too. What if Jesus went to my school? What if Jesus lived in my house and had to eat breakfast with my brothers and sisters? What if Jesus played in my backyard? What would he say? What would he do? How would he help others? You see, if God can use a little boy here in Acts chapter 23 to actually carry out his plan and fulfill his purpose, can't God use all those boys and girls that are going to be here this next week? See, VBS, VBS is not just us as children telling the kids about Jesus. I mean, it is that, but it's so much more. It is us equipping those children, even now as children, to be disciples who make disciples. Even now in their life as a child, God can work through them to influence so many others. Because that's true, I want us to finish now with a time of prayer. Thinking about what God's getting ready to do this week. This could be an awesome week because of what God wants to be able to do in their lives and through their lives. So I want us to take a moment and just pray for the children. Would you do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes? And let me just kind of guide your thinking as each one of us prays from our heart. Think of some of those boys and girls you know by name. They're going to be here this next week in VBS. The Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, that God wants all people everywhere to come to a knowledge of Jesus and to be saved. That's true for every one of the boys and girls that are going to be here in this building this week. So pray that God will move any kind of obstacle that would hinder them from getting here. And then pray that once they arrive in this campus each day, that God will remove any kind of distraction that will keep those boys and girls from seeing, hearing, and learning the truth about Jesus.
pray that this next week, each boy and each girl will take that next step in coming to understand who Jesus is and take that next step in really appreciating what Jesus has done for them. Take a moment right now and just pray for the children and their relationship with Jesus. Secondly, just like the little boy here in Acts chapter 23, God used him to do something significant. Even so, it is true for every one of these boys and girls, even now as a child. God has good things for them to do. God has a role for them to play. God has a place for them to serve. So pray that throughout this week, these boys and girls will be motivated and challenged and encouraged to want to follow Jesus, to come to the end of this week and just be all fired up about serving Him and living for Him and pleasing Him, all fired up to want to follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray for that blessing. And then one last thing. Pray that by the end of this week, because of what these boys and girls are able to see and experience, that they will have a much greater confidence in God, confidence in the love that he has for them. Pray that each boy and each girl, that their heart will just be flooded with joy, the joy of knowing I am precious in his sight. God cares for me. God, we're asking today, We're asking that Jesus would come and stand in our boat. That Jesus would come and stand in this church. Let this church, this campus, become his platform where all week long he works and he ministers and he touches the hearts of these boys and girls and he blesses their lives. God, let this next week be an awesome week. Awesome. Because once again, you show us what a great God you are and once again, you show us what a great Savior we have in Jesus. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.